0: Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you this morning for your word and for the chance we have to gather in your name. We pray that you would continue to speak and to transform us as we take this time uh, to hear from you and what your your word says to us. We ask that you'd open our hearts to receive in your name. Amen. Amen. I'd my welcome to Nate's. It's good to see you all. Uh, yeah, great to have you here. And uh, pardon my voice, I'm a little bit getting over a bit of a cold, and so I've got that slightly lower register tone thing going on. And uh, my kids are like, What's going on with you? So there you go. I will try to speak up, but hopefully not cause this, the screech to happen. Anyway, great to have you here. And as Nate mentioned, lots of small groups going on, and next week. Having lunch after the service, so we encourage you to stick around afterwards and excited to uh, continue on as a church together. It feels like now that the fall season has started, we're kind of in min- ministry years kind of started up again, and that's really exciting. Let's head into this passage this morning, Luke 18. Nate just read it for us. I want to just reflect on a few points here, and we're coming near to the end of this series on Jesus' parables through Samaria. We're going to have one or two more In this series and then shift gears uh, once we kind of hit into October. This is a shorter parable and it starts in an interesting way. So often in these parables uh, we don't get a lot of an introduction. Jesus just sort of starts talking or someone comes with a question and Jesus responds to the question with a parable or uh, responds to a situation with a parable to illustrate a point. And in this case Jesus tells them what the parable is about before it even gets going look at verse one he said he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart And there's the gist that's it that's what jesus has for them you ought always to pray and not lose heart and i think the it's interesting that those two are paired together the first thing to note is this expectation that jesus has for his disciples that they're people of prayer. And that's worth thinking about, that as, not just as Christians, but as human beings, we are created with the capacity for prayer. We're created to be able to commune with the living God. This is not something that's strange or separate or uh, some element of life that we have to somehow add in to what we already are. No, no, we are made for this. In some sense, you might say it's meant to be natural that we have a personal encounter with the living God and that all of our lives and our relationships and and our hopes and our fears, our families, our work, all of that, all of life takes place in a world that is made and kept and loved by God. The firmest thing in your life. Is the enduring love of God and whatever is going on in your life whatever swells may be going on as you are rocking in a boat up here you are rocking upon the oceanic depths of God's love for you that is the firm solid foundation that the God of the universe invites you into relationship with himself and prayer is that capacity we have to engage with him It's part of our image-bearing, too. There's this sense in which being made in God's image means to represent him out into creation, but also to gather the praises of God's creation back to God. And so our our task as humans, as image-bearers, is to be in relationship with God, to enter into the love of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. We're encouraged to make all of life something of prayer. That there's a spirit of prayer that's meant to permeate our lives. And this is what Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians 5 when he says pray without ceasing. It doesn't mean uh, always having, you know, your head bowed and your hands clasped as you're walking down the road and as you're shopping and as you're going through life. It doesn't mean that. It's this idea of, of having this posture, this humble posture before God where we understand he's present in all that's going on in my life and I'm present to him in all that's going on in my life. And there's an openness, an exchange between me and God as I go about my day, practicing the presence of God, knowing that he's with me in this moment, that I can speak with him, that I am made and loved and kept by him. And so Jesus tells the parable because disciples ought to pray. They're to be people of prayer. We're to be people who are in conversation with the living God, and yet in the same breath We can lose heart We can lose heart in our praying so we're made for this we're created for this It's meant to be something we can do we commune with God. We're in conversation with him and yet Jesus knows we can lose heart in our praying We often get discouraged You may think, well, if we're made for this, if we're designed for this, for prayer, why the discouragement? Why is it hard? Three things that come to mind about the hardness of prayer, the difficulty of prayer. The first thing that can be discouraging is that we're reminded when we start praying that all is not right in the world. We're reminded quite quickly that we still live In a fallen world and we still grapple with the reality of sin and death in our societies and our relationship with God though he's redeemed us and he's sanctifying us and that's made possible through Jesus and the cross that is wonderful and good and we celebrate that yes 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 and yet we are waiting for the final and complete redemption of the world and we are in that in between time and when we come to pray we're aware of the needs in our lives and the needs around us it's a startling reminder that we're not yet there we are still waiting for god to do his work and sometimes that waiting is really hard we still wait for that day when we'll see him face to face and he will wipe every tear from our eyes and until then as we pray and bring our lives to god we remember the difficulty that we still face we can come boldly before throne of grace, but there's lots of reasons sometimes we don't come. Sometimes our lives just, we don't structure our lives very well for prayer. I don't know about you, right now with kids, it's really hard when people talk about having like a morning quiet time. There's no morning quiet time. The morning quiet time was between like three and five, and I sleep through that morning quiet time, and that's about it. This idea of having hours to just sort of sit with a Bible and a cup of coffee, that sounds lovely. That is not the reality that I live in. I have a kid coming down the stairs at six. He wants toast, hot. Will tells me, Daddy, I want toast, hot toast. If I wait, if it waits in the toaster too long, too, no good. Light lukewarm toast is not right. He's like Jesus, either hot or cold. No lukewarm toast. I don't have time. I, it's hard for me to find the time to pray. I can come, I can come to work, and then I have time to pray, and then I'm kind of there like. Well, how does everyone else do this? Because I get to just come to the church and pray. But no one else gets, I mean, like most of you don't get to, right? You're all going about your days. It's tough. It's tough. There's a busyness to life that makes taking time to pray difficult, right? This requires an intentionality on our part to say, I want to make time to spend with the Lord. I have to make time for this. I have to choose to do this means saying no to something else in my life. Either not watching that thing later or not doing whatever. I don't know. But I have to make a choice to do that. I was listening once to uh, Jim Houston. He, uh, he founded Regent College. And he suggests that there's a, a modern busyness to our lives that's actually a narcotic to the soul, he says. We use our busyness as moral laziness. and What he means by that is he'll say, we are so busy... We we treat it as an excuse not to do the things we know we ought to do. We'll just say, I'm just so busy And it's almost like that's a that's a ticket to say, right, you don't you're not responsible to do what you gotta do because you're just busy. And Bruce Hindmarsh, who I, I studied with when I was at school, he pointed out that yes, our lives are busy, but the great figures of the Christian faith through history, they were they were no less busy than we are. They all had stuff going on too. It was busy. But they chose to practice a different sort of life. A life that was grounded in communion with God. And so our sort of frenetic culture and our you know our notifications on our phones don't help us to cultivate a sort of life of prayer. Often we're distracted or we get anxious that we're missing out on something, or we're we're worried about what's coming down the pipe. And so we need encouragement. To pray, to not lose heart in an age of busyness. The second thing that I think we need to hear encouragement when it comes to praying is to remember that prayers actually work. Prayer is not always easy. There's something about cultivating the muscles of prayer. What happens when you don't lose, use certain muscles? They atrophy, right? They, it's harder to work them. You need to work them regularly in order to keep them healthy. And alive, In Colossians 4, Paul praises a man called Epaphras. And he says he labored fervently in prayer. When was the last time for you that prayer was something you fervently labored over? I don't know about you. Often my prayer is just sort of quickly on the side in the moment or when something's happening. But here's a guy who put in the work and the attention, and the perseverance, and the willpower to devote himself to prayer, to take the time. Prayer requires our work because it's powerful, and if it it wasn't powerful, it'd be easy. But because it does something, it's difficult. And we need encouragement to keep praying, even in an age when we're busy or when we're apathetic. And Sometimes I think we can lose heart in another way. We can feel that prayer just doesn't really do anything We can be used to praying and it feels like God doesn't respond Maybe God didn't answer prayer in the way we'd hoped or expected at some time in our lives Maybe we were praying for something and praying for something Maybe we were fervently laboring over this thing and then God just didn't answer the way we'd hoped and that's discouraging It's hard to keep going when that happens Or perhaps we're at a point in our lives where we just don't really believe God answers prayer. We just don't really believe in God at all. And so our prayer life just kind of stops and we need encouragement in the busyness, in the apathy, and in the face of atheism to keep a persistence in prayer alive. And that's how the passage opens with those two things, that we ought to pray. We're made for prayer. But second you may very well lose heart in that praying. And so be encouraged. We can be easily distracted. We can be caught up in the busyness. We can forget that there's work involved. We can be discouraged in the waiting that comes with prayer. And with that in mind, Jesus tells this parable. There's a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. That should tweak something in us if we're thinking God, loving God and loving others. That's central to Jewish life and culture. That's the Shema. We love God and we love our neighbors. This guy's doing neither. Doesn't fear God, doesn't particularly love the neighbors. And there's a widow in this. Basically, the judge is kind of useless. That's kind of the point. Judge is not a great character. And there's a widow in the city who keeps coming to him. This is verse 3 and says, give me justice against my adversary. Verse 4, and for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, I I don't fear God or respect people, but because this widow just keeps bothering me, I'm going to give her justice so, so she will not beat me down by her continual coming. She just keeps showing up. And this judge, who doesn't particularly love God, isn't interested in justice, doesn't really love people, isn't really interested in her in any compassionate way. He finally gives in to her because she just keeps driving him crazy. She's really annoying. And he gets wearied about it. The term here used to describe the judge's annoyance means means that she's wearing someone out by her continual annoying presence and it actually can be used to describe being stunned or bruised or to give someone a black eye she's that insistent that this is just wearing the guy out he's done with it this is also sometimes the case with my children there are times you ever tried to use the washroom you know that joyful place where you can go where people don't come after you doesn't exist in my house there is no such place Sometimes there's, I'm afraid the door's going to break. There's just a slamming, slamming, and it works because eventually I'll open the door. It's just that continual annoying slam, dad, 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 or if you're Noah, he just stands there. He just pounds for a bit, and eventually I'll open the door, even though I'd rather not, but there's something about the persistence of keeping at a thing that will turn the heart Of even the most jaded judge in this case right to the point of annoyance she pleads with him for justice and he finally gives in and the point of the parable first is this that the judge's lack of compassion is overcome by the widow's persistence her persistence is what wins the day but here's the thing Jesus doesn't tell this parable to describe God's character God is not like that judge. God is not without compassion for his people. God actually loves to answer prayer, and he loves to hear us. He's on your side. He's not against you like the judges to the widow. And so Jesus is employing a lesser to greater style of argument. If the unjust judge will finally respond to the widow and her persistence how much more will a good and loving God respond to you when you come faithfully to him in prayer? If the judge is finally turned by her persistence, how much more can we trust that God will faithfully listen because he actually loves us? Sometimes, though, I think we can feel like that woman, can't we? We can feel like when we're asking God about something that he feels distant or he delays responding or we feel like we don't understand why God isn't answering in a particular way. Or maybe it feels like God's just kind of reluctant. Does it feel like sometimes you need to get God's attention? You need to be like the persistent widow because God feels reluctant to answer. Sometimes there's that delay that's difficult and that's where Jesus calls us not to lose heart and we can ask why the delay God why don't you answer in this particular way and could it be that when God delays to answer it's not because we need to work at changing God's mind it's because God is at work at transforming our hearts when we persist in prayer we're opening ourselves to to the transforming life of the Spirit to come and shape us. It's not that God doesn't hear us. It's that prayer is not about telling the genie what my wish is. Prayer is about entering into relationship with the living God. And there are times that when I come, God calls me to yield to him. and He doesn't always answer it the way I would hope. It's not that he doesn't hear you. It's that we're allowing him to come and transform our hearts. Think of Jesus and Paul. Jesus and Paul both repeatedly pray the same thing. They both have moments where they're praying and praying and asking the Father, why doesn't God answer right away? Like, is he busy? Right? Are their prayers not good enough? Sometimes we can think that. They not have the right attitude? Sometimes we can think that of ourselves or other people. Were they not saying the right magic words to make God do something? No, it's not about that. It's not that God doesn't hear them. Again, it's about remembering. Prayer is not about summoning a deity to do my bidding. It's not magic. Prayer is about submitting to the living God and opening myself to him, inviting him into this moment in my life and coming humbly before him and asking him to move in my life. The Psalms are full of this sort of praying, the praying that asks, how long, O Lord? Will you move, God? Why have you let this happen, God? They're full of waiting for God to do what he will do, full of people, regular people like you and me, waiting for God to faithfully fulfill his promises, waiting for God to do what he will in his timing, Learning to rely on his grace, learning to say, not my will, but yours be done. And so Jesus ends this parable with the question, when the Son of Man returns, will he find such faith on earth? Will he find a faith in people that is persistent in prayer? Will he find a faith that trusts in God who hears us, or a faith that thinks God is like this uncompassionate judge? We find people who faithfully submit to God. And there's a tone of conviction here, I think, for anyone who's a disciple of Jesus. Where we say, yes, Lord, I want to be found with that faith. I want to be found with a faith that persists in prayer to seek you first in your kingdom. I want to be found as one who relies on you, God. Not one who tries to manipulate you to do my will. I want to be found in that day as one who has faith that trusts God for who he is, for his goodness. God in the God that I want him to be, but in God as he truly is. When he returns, will there be people who love and behold God and seek his face? I think he will find those people. And if I'm alive still when he returns, I plan to be among them. So these three things for us, folks, we're made for prayer. We're capable of communion with God. We're called to this life. We're encouraged in it. But Jesus also knows we can get discouraged in our praying. We're busy, we're distracted. This is work. It's good work though, and it's worth our time. And thirdly, we can trust in the goodness of God who is so much greater and so much more compassionate than this judge in the parable. God loves us and hears us and we can trust in him even when we're asking, how long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord? And as we yield to him, we allow him to transform us as we wait. I was trying to think of a, a an appropriate way to respond to this word this morning. And it's, um, it's just about 11. It's not quite 11. I think it would be appropriate for us to actually practice praying. <laughs> it seems rather straightforward, doesn't it? A persistence in prayer. And so what I'd like to do is, before we close the service, if there's any needs here this morning, I'd like to invite you to come to the front, and we'd like to pray over you. And, and I don't want it to just be a thing tacked on at the end so that if you don't need prayer, you're like, well, I'm good, I'm just going to go. Even if you don't need prayer this morning, I'd like you to just stay and join us in praying for those that have needs this morning. And if you're not a Christian this morning and you're just here and this is weird and new to you, I just encourage you to sit and watch and take it in. And love to answer those questions after. Um, but if, if there's those that have needs this morning, rather than just talking about persisting in prayer let's actually take the time to pray for each other so i don't know if if al is still here no did he go um kyle are you able to put on music for us kyle's going to put on music and if there are any that have a need this morning and would like prayer i'm going to invite you to come up now and uh those that are able to pray and surround those and encourage those, let's do that this morning. We're going to take just five ten minutes uh, to rest in God's presence and take time to pray for each other. Okay? So if there's any needs, why don't you come up now and we'd love to take some time to pray for you.
1: And my time has come Still
0: there's others that would like specific prayer ministry, I invite you to come forward. We'd love to take that time to pray with you. But if you need to go today, I'm going to invite you to stand, and I'd love to speak benediction over you and pray over you. So why don't we stand together? Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that you are faithful, that you love us, and you have compassion on us. And I thank you, Lord, that you hear us. I thank you, Lord, for the ability you've given us to commune with you, and I pray that you would strengthen and encourage us in that life of prayer that you call us to. Lord, we pray that as we head into this week and the work and the relationships that are before us that lie ahead, that you would move and help us to know and to practice your presence with us in every moment of every day. We ask this in your name. Amen. Before you go, Receive this benediction of children of God who are loved and forgiven through our Lord Jesus Christ. May you be encouraged in the life of prayer. May you be receptive to the presence and power of the Spirit in your life. And may you be encouraged to know that God hears and loves and does respond to you. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all. Amen.